Hello everyone, and welcome to Refinery Life Australia. I'm Gary Hoban, and I'm the Senior Pastor and Lead Elder of Refinery Life Church on the Gold Coast. If you're on the Gold Coast, come and join us as we meet together, and we share in the Word of our Lord. We meet at 9.30 on Sundays at 222 Turpin Road, Labrador. And more details are available on our website, which is www.refinerylife.org. And today we're going to continue our series titled The Nature and the Ministry of the Church. Now these messages are going to focus on the home, the school, the church and the state. They're the four great institutions that give meaning and stability to Western civilization. And today we're talking about the church and its growth. Let's pray before we go any further. We don't do giving messages at the refinery, but what we do do is pray over our offering every single week. And I'd like you to join us in that. We want to make sure that God's money gets used where he wants it to be used. So, Holy Father, we bow humbly before you, aware that we are undeserving of all of your many blessings. Yet we thank you for all that you have given us. We bring to you today a portion of what we have received. We ask for your blessing upon it. Also, Father, purify the motives behind our giving, so that we in turn might be blessed. It's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen. The text we're going to concentrate on today is Acts 2, 41-42. Incredibly powerful piece of scripture that really shows us how the church grows. Verse 41 says, So then, those who accepted his message were baptized, and on the day about 3,000 souls were added to the body of believers. Verse 42 says, They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles, and to fellowship, to eating meals together, and to prayers. So who were they devoting themselves to after they were baptized? Was it someone's random home group, or was it the teaching of the apostles? It was the teaching of the apostles. We need to remember that the church was instigated by God himself. So that's where we should be. When there's a church service, we should be there. The scriptures we're going to work through are Acts 2, 41 to 47. Let's read them together. Well, Actually, we'll start from verse 41 again. So then, those who accepted his message were baptized. The first thing, they accepted the message and were baptized. And on that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the body of believers. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship and to eating meals together and to prayers. A sense of awe was felt by everyone, and many wonders and signs attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed in Jesus as Saviour were together and had all things in common, considering their possessions to belong to the group as a whole. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. Notice they were sharing with the believers as people had need. Day after day they met in the temple area, continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various homes, or various private homes it says in the Amplified Version. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts, praising God continually and having favor with all the people, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's just have a look there for a moment. Day after day they were meeting at the temple, they were still going to church but they were breaking bread in private homes. It's interesting, isn't it? 
if you're just a member of a, a home church or just a home group and you don't like church, let me tell you, you've got it messed up. The Bible tells us they still met in the church and they were breaking bread in private homes. Let's look at Acts, 40, sorry, Acts 4, 31, 32. It says, And when they prayed, the place where they were meeting together was shaken, which was a sign of God's presence. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness and courage. We all need that. We need that boldness and courage. And they were sharing among believers. It says in verse 32, Now the company of believers was one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was exclusively his own but everything was common property and for the use of everyone. Yeah, we've just come back from our workplace over in Korean Cove on Stradbroke Island and most of the church were there. Most of the church worked for uh, the, same, the same business as carers and we supplied all of our music equipment for a function that was on last night. We don't consider it ours. We don't consider it the church's. We consider it for everyone to use. That's what we're talking about here. Let me tell you a story. There was a pastor who was talking to one day, who was a, to a man one day who was a member of his church. And for no apparent reason, the man never attended church services. And when the pastor urged the man to come, he replied rather smugly, and I've heard this many times over, that he could be just as good a Christian staying at home as he could attending church. Now, the two men happened to be seated in front of a fireplace where there was a coal fire burning. And the pastor took the tongs from beside the fireplace and picked out one of the live coals. He placed it on the hearth beside him by himself. And the single coal turned grey and began to cool off. Soon it lost all its glow and warmth. Then without saying a word, the pastor picked up the cold piece of coal and placed it back in the midst of the live coals, put it back in the fire. And soon it was aglow and began to give off heat once more. Now, this silent little drama drove the message home. The delinquent church member dropped his head in shame and said, Pastor, I will be in church on Sunday morning. Nothing in the world, nothing in the world is as personal and intimate as one's encounter with Jesus Christ. Yet each experience is unique within itself. There's only two principles involved here, God and the individual. If you want to be taken out of the fire, don't come to church. But if you want to be in the fire, come to church. It's between you and God. Yet it is not God's will that a Christian continue alone or that he or she live the Christian life in isolation. It's God's plan from the beginning that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ be joined together in spiritual fellowship, in a special kind of oneness. We saw it this morning. We're sitting at a cafe out in a boardwalk looking over the water, just worshipping, singing songs, praying for each other, praying for people we know, praying into situations. And a crowd gathered. Some people were on the island having holidays. Some were the staff that, that work for the resort. All we did was worship and pray. And people come because they were drawn towards it. We were in that special kind of oneness right there. This is the basic characteristic of the church that was conceived in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. The church was conceived by God. 
On the eve of the day of Pentecost, we read that the disciples were all in one accord in one place. And just as warmth and fellowship exist in the togetherness of the church, so does growth happen in that environment. Now you might say to me, well, my church that I used to go to, there was no warmth and there was no fellowship. Well, you know what? That may have been the church. It may have been you as well. You might have put your faith in man. Our theme this morning is the church and its growth. In our scripture passages, we will discover three directions in which the church grew in the first century. And it is God's will that it continue to grow in these same directions today. First one is the growth within. Acts 2, 41-42. So then, those who accepted the message were baptized, and on that day 3,000 souls were added. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to the fellowship to eating meals together, and to prayers. In these brief words, we have the four fundamentals of Christian growth. They were baptized. First thing, they accepted Christ, they were baptized. Because they had already received his word with gladness and open acceptance. They publicly identified with Christ through baptism. It was their way of saying to the whole world that they had begun a lifelong experience of death to self in order that they might become alive daily in Christ. Second thing is they were taught. Many, many churches don't teach the Word of God these days. But at the refinery, we do. That's why we'll probably be a small church for a long time, because we teach the Word of God. And you know what? That even offends Christians. They were taught. They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine, it tells us. This was spiritual nourishment, food for the souls of these long believers as they absorbed it. It's food for the souls of these believers. They were consistent in receiving the word of God. It was their sustenance and their strength. Notice I say the word of God, not some prophecy or, or, or some magic word that some evangelist comes up with. They were consistent in receiving the word of God. And the result was they grew both numerically and spiritually. This is the final phase of the the Christian's life that is often overlooked. Sometimes the church, in its commendable efforts to win the lost to Christ, fails to teach them consistently and properly in the way. As a result, many spiritual babies remain, causing the church to give a weak and often ineffective witness to the world. Many of these people we see roaming around as evangelists and everything, not all of them, but many, are spiritually weak because they've had to water down the gospel. Third thing is they experience fellowship. Fellowship, or koinonia, is one of the most beautiful words in the New Testament. It means more than just a social get-together. What we see in a lot of churches, there's social clubs these days. People are there because their friend is there. People are there because of the worship music. People are there because... They're looking for a husband or wife or those good coffee or whatever it might be. That's a social club. That's not the church. And I may be offending some Christians now, but you know what? If you're offended, that's your issue. What you do with the offense is your problem. It describes, the word fellowship here, quinonia, describes a communion, a sharing between those who have something special in common. And because of the Spirit of Christ within them, the early believers began to love one another, 
to share their burdens and pray together. They had a delightful sense of community or of belonging to one another. They prayed together. That's the fourth thing. The early Christians continued steadfastly, not only in the apostles' doctrine and their teaching and fellowship, but also in prayer. So they were baptized, they were taught, they had fellowship, and they prayed. Their communication with God was never neglected. This was their lifeline, their contact with the very throne of grace. They practiced what Paul later expressed to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and that was praying without ceasing. They knew what it meant to remain in a spirit of prayer and openness before God. The second thing they, they did was that the church did was it grew from the outside, it grew without. In Acts 2, 43 to 47, we have an indication of the growth of the church without, that is, the radiating effect of the church on the unbelieving world. Note in verse 43, fear came upon every soul. Of reverence and respectful and respect for these Christians and their faith struck the hearts of the unbelievers. This fear could also be interpreted as a conviction, a tool of the Holy Spirit in dealing with the unbelievers. But sadly, not all who feared in their heart because of the testimony of these believers responded in repentance. We see that same thing today, don't we? People can see our conviction. They can see the reverent fear for God that we have in our heart. But they may not respond in repentance. Some believers are struck by the sincerity of Christians but fail to follow through. They stop short of repentance. Furthermore, these Christians were praising God and having favour with all people. If you're just having favour within your church, you've got some more work to do. You should be praising God and having favour with all people. These first century Christians were continually held in high regard by unbelievers. Perhaps this is a serious indictment against the modern Christians. Christians are frowned upon these days. We're thought to be strange. But we should be held in high regard by everybody. Myself and, and Pastor Amanda, my wife, work for a secular biz business a couple of days a week. They employ us to do pastoral care in a secular industry. That is being held in high regard by unbelievers. They know they need God. They may not accept him in themselves, but they want him in their business. Often professing Christians live in a spiritually substandard way. Those who are unsaved and always yearning to find justification in their life lived apart from God. They find delight in pointing out Christians who are not consistent in their profession. Verse 47 says, And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. God was at work in the midst of his people. They were glorifying and praising him. The result was a continual response on the part of the people around them. Not a seasonal or spasmodic growth, but genuine, consistent growth. Churches don't win souls by having evangelistic campaigns. That doesn't fill your church. Consistency, consistent teaching, consistency in life is what brings people to Christ. 
Too often after great revival campaigns during where scores of people come to know Christ as Saviour, they go back to business as usual. That was not the case for the first century Christians. Growth without took place because they continued steadfastly in teaching and fellowship. And then the third thing was growth beyond. Acts forty one sorry, Acts four thirty one and thirty two says And they had when they had prayed, the place where they were meeting together was shaken, which was a sign of God's presence. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness and courage. And they were sharing among believers. It says now the company of believers was one heart and one soul. And not one of them claimed anything belonging to him was exclusively his own, but everything was common property and for the use of all. Marvellous things happened in Jerusalem, but they certainly couldn't keep the gospel there. It was too big to be contained in one city. So God began to prepare them for growth beyond the walls. His preparation came in a strange way. It started with persecution. And that's about where most of us give up. When the early believers began to experience hostility and pressure from the unbelieving world, what did they do? They prayed. And after the church prayed, something happened. The place was shaken where they assembled together. They experienced a physical sense of God's overpowering presence among them. And perhaps he was saying to them in a symbolic way that he would shake Jerusalem and the world beyond with the message that they were proclaiming. And then the third thing they did was speak God's word boldly. The message of Jesus Christ in his resurrection brings new life, flowing from a living Christ into dying and dead people and dead institutions awakening and empowering them. God has made the provision that Christians of every age can speak his word with boldness and in so doing shake the structures of society in which they live. God did not intend for the church to stop growing after the first century. The same principles of growth that it instituted in the early church are those that must be operative in the church today. We must not be ashamed to confess him before others. His word must faithfully and consistently be taught, or else no inner growth can take place. A koinonia fellowship, a communion, a oneness must exist among the people of God. Believers must pray continually for a holy boldness to proclaim the good news of salvation till the ends of the earth. That's my prayer for you this week, that you get that holy boldness to proclaim the good news of salvation, even to the end of your backyard. And I really want to encourage you, as I do every week, to be diligent with your Bible study time, because God has so much more for us than we can get from going to church once or twice a week and hear someone else talk about the Word. When you spend time with God, your life will change in amazing ways, because God is a Redeemer. There's nothing that's too hard for Him. And he can make you whole, spirit, soul, and body. And you're important to God. You know that already. But you're also important to us at the refinery. So when it comes to prayer, we believe that God wants to meet your needs and reveal his promises to you. So whatever you're concerned about and need prayer for, we want to be here for you. Even if you just want to say hi, you can contact us on www.refinerylife.org or via any of our social media channels. And until next time, stay in the blessings.